I would say one of the things that I'm really thinking about right now is that you have to do that all of the time. You know, when I first started to answer the question, I was like, yeah, when did I find my voice? When did I find my preacher's voice? Was it, you know, as I pivoted towards, you know, just having my sea legs faster and having my rhythm down and knowing my notes and having my routine. And it's like, no, because all of those things are total variables that change all the time. And that's what made me realize finding your voice as a preacher seems to be part of the continual drink offering that we're making. You, I, I have to find my voice as a preacher, it seems, every single week. Hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast, episode 243. I'm your host, Mike Neglia. The voice that you just heard is our guest for this week, Tucker Mail. Uh, Tucker is the lead pastor of Calvary Boise. And although he's the guest on the podcast, he actually, he and his church are the hosts of our next in-person training event in Boise, Idaho. So of course, I was thrilled to be able to speak to him for this podcast and for you to learn from him and then also get a bit of a preview of what you can expect in Boise on the 14th and the 15th of October. So if you're listening to this on the week that it comes out, it's very soon. It's about a week away. So visit expositorscollective.com, find out more details. We have some deals worked out with local hotels, and we would love to see you there. In this conversation, Tucker talks about gating your sea legs, which means like overcoming the nervousness that comes in those first few moments of every sermon and also what it means to learn from others, but to have your own voice. He's a thoughtful, loving, caring man, and I know that you're gonna benefit from this conversation. Here's Tucker Mail on getting your sea legs and finding your voice. All right, hey, welcome to the Expositors Collective Podcast. Honored and excited to be speaking to Tucker Mail. Good morning, how are you, Tucker? I'm doing so well. Thank you for having me. And hello to the, your listening audience. Nobody ever says hello to the audience. That's so thoughtful of you. <laughs> yes. Well, <laughs> I hope they're having a good morning or wherever they are. Yeah. They could be They could be at the gym right now. They could yes. be on a walk. They could be doing the dishes. The beauty of podcasting is that the sanctuary really does become the whole world. Okay. Quick question. Where do you listen to podcasts, sucker? I know that you like to listen and learn. Where do you, where, where do you get them? When do you log those hours recorded on this? Probably like most people, I, well, there's probably two camps of people, the very regimented. This is how I always kind of go through my routines of life. And then the person like myself, who's like, it's either the car on a walk around the house. I just bought noise canceling headphones. So now I can listen to podcasts while I'm mowing, but I have four kids. So details about me that maybe will add to some of my perspective on preaching. And at this stage of my family life, podcasting is in one of those categories that is a thing that I do when the time is right. So if I had to give a number one answer, it'd probably be in the car on like a, a drive. We do a, I do a weekly day of prayer and sometimes study in Garden Valley, which is about an hour from Boise. And I love that drive specifically because it just gives me all of the uh, alone time to listen to things like sermons, podcasts, and audiobooks. 
Nice. Follow-up question. And then we'll get into the real nuts and bolts of things. But what speed do you listen to podcasts on? I vary. There's times where there's times, seasons in my life where I'm like, I have to just listen to as much as possible. Audible gives you the option to go beyond the podcast app. And there I depending on the the information I'm consuming, I can go up to about three and a half speed. Wow. Podcast is always two speed. And then if it's a sermon, yeah. If it's a sermon (laughs) that is like just because I I want to live under the practice of pace, you know, if it's a sermon, I do as a discipline, try to listen to it in one speed, unless I'm re-listening to my own sermon and then it says fast as possible. Just like I (laughs) got to get through that. (laughs) Yeah. There's a podcast I listen to almost every day. It's called the daily liturgy podcast. Mm. And it's from like, I think Nebraska, they just do kind of like, you know, scripture readings and prayers. That's the only one I listen to single speed. Everything else is. I think as long as you have that one that keeps you anchored in some sort of honoring of the pace that was intended, but yeah, everything I'm excited for, well, maybe they're out there, but a, a podcast player that would go beyond two speed because it really does train your brain. You can just begin to, your brain is like, this is the speed by which I consume information now. Yeah. Well, well Tucker, it's called overcast and that can okay. go up to, it goes up to three. So, okay. Here. Thank you so much. Taking notes, downloading overcast. <laughs> All right. Thanks. So, hey, Tucker, this is about preaching. So what was, um, do you remember the first sermon that you ever gave the first time that you like taught the Bible in public? I I do. And I will say that the the answer is slightly nuanced because I have to kind of separate how I would actually qualify or canonize my first sermon. School of Ministry, Calvary Chapel Boise was probably the first moment of speaking in front of people. It was five other students in a, you know, auxiliary classroom on our campus. And it was pick a passage of the Bible and share, which, you know, that's why it's qualified. It, it's like a, it was almost like a workshop. But for me, it was the absolute baptism of preaching, you know, the the process of, oh my gosh, I only have three weeks to prepare this and, you know, completely just deep diving a, you know, a three verse six minute opportunity to where it felt like I was going to be sharing, you know, on the biggest stage possible. So that really was the first time that I felt this like call to cry out to God over preaching. The first time I ever kind of got before people and shared was not long after in a little youth group. And I would say both of those, I kind of go back and forth and think about both of those in my mind as like the moment that I stepped out and tried my best to open God's word in a way to to preach it. And uh, lots of things that I, you know, flood of memories as I, as I go back to those memories and and um, so many emotions and thoughts that were going through my head and, and trying to learn it. What kind of emotions? And what kind of thoughts? Okay. The, the the main emotion, and because it was one of those preaching practice workshops that allowed you to pick any text in the Bible, the main emotion was just intense worry, which is why I, I will always love that passage in Matthew chapter six. It says, "Which who of you by worrying can add one cubit to your height? And so I think of that because that's what I decided to preach on. And so my first message really was a practice in something you have to do as a preacher and often is allow the text to speak to you and preach to yourself so that you can speak from a position of, well, one, humility and also need. And so that 
was the main kind of wrestling was like, I, who am I to share this? How am I, how am I, how's this going to go? Am I going to have enough to say was one of the, you know, one of those early emotions. Uh, Am I going to remember what to say? So it was just a lot of racing. I would say the, the thoughts were varied in many, but lots at once for me, like just continually thinking about how the actual moment would go. And then of course, like still happens to this day, you get what I call the preacher's sea legs. And after about a minute or two minutes, just mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. stepping onto the boat and, and getting through those, you know, that first little bit of seasickness, you, you kind of, you get your sea legs. And it, to me, I, I still, from thinking about getting my initial preacher's sea legs until now, I still think of that because you, you, even you talking to, to preachers, you'll see there's a process by which they go from trying to get into the sermon to, to landing. It's the great ones. You don't even notice it, but the, the ones that are practicing or, or, or just starting out, you can see that transition happen where they're like trying to just kind of wrestle their emotion or their thoughts to the ground. And then the sermon starts to, to actually take form after they say, Hey, everybody, or crack their first joke or, you know, fumble through opening their Bible or whatever that sea leg moment is, I got it, Ben. And I still kind of think about that now as I stand up every Sunday morning to, to step behind the pulpit. You know, I've first, first off, I love the term preacher's sea legs. I've never heard it before. And I think we're going to title the episode finding the preacher's sea legs. <laughs> that might uh, be, did, that might be necessary. Did you make that up or? I, it's always been something I've just thought yeah. about. And, and maybe one of the reasons is I, the season of my life that kind of where the Lord beckoned me to preach, I was working on a yacht in the Caribbean ocean. And I I had it in my mind. I wanted to work on a yacht. I, I meet this captain. He's like, what's your experience? And I kind of exaggerated a bunch of minimal boat experience I had. And he kind of looked at me and gave me a shot and said, okay, we're going to voyage from Fort Lauderdale to the Caribbean. And within 30 seconds, I was puking. And he was looking <laughs> at me like, who have I just hired? And then he told me this concept of sea legs. He's like, you got to get your sea legs. You'll get used to it. Keep your eye on the horizon line. And so that kind of picture of learning how to get out in the open water was really fresh in my mind when I, about a year later, just, you know, decided to, to try to learn how to preaching, to learn how to preach. Wow. Yeah, Tucker, that's that's really cool. Well, I read something just recently. A preacher was talking about how he noticed in himself and and even like people in the congregation noticed that it wasn't until after he did his opening prayer that he, you know, found his sea legs to use your vocabulary yeah. or yeah. kind of his his heart rate settled. And so somebody told him that like, you know, you just seem really nervous up there. You seem really uncomfortable uh, until you pray. And mm. and then the person suggested well, you know, maybe you should just, the first thing you should do is pray. <laughs> you get up there opening prayer and then, and then start going, get into all your opening remarks and comments after the prayer. And he's like, oh yeah. So I started doing that and it kind of works. <laughs> That's a great idea. I mean, it's not an idea. I mean, it's common for many people, but framing it in the concept of allowing your, you know, those emotions to kind of settle through a prayer makes sense. I'm sure it's why God has kind of allowed that pattern to be such a common practice for preachers to, well, one, it's just as we prayed before this episode to depend on the grace of God to get through any sermon that you do. Yeah. And there's times when like the opening prayer is is just that it's the opening prayer. It's kind of um, perfunctory or Mm -hmm. obligatory. 
And there's been times, and I'm sure you felt this way too, where like, you just want to stand there and just be like, honestly, God, I really need your help. Yes. <laughs> and yes, that is absolutely true. And for that reason, I do not have a standard. We are always praying before the sermon because there are times where I, I feel like I, I don't want it to be a, a part of a, some sort of factory production of preaching. But there are times also where I say I have to pray. And those I hope are real genuine prayers. And then I'll also say, and you're someone who listens to a lot of sermons, I'm sure. A lot of times I'm listening to preachers to understand the text, to get ideas, to see their outline and their format. And then by the time they either do their opening prayer or their closing prayer, I'm like, yeah, I'm not really here for that right now. And then there are times where I, I, for whatever reason, the podcast remains on and the prayer comes on. I'm like, oh my gosh, that prayer without even them intending it, because it wasn't in their notes. It wasn't part of their, you know, three points and the prayer comes out and you're like, that's actually what I needed to hear about this passage of scripture. Yeah. Yeah. I'm recalling a sermon I listened to from Ray Bentley, who passed away last year. And I was, yeah, I was driving and was in a yeah, kind of a traffic jam. So it maybe maybe more attentive. And the whole message was like great. And then and the closing prayer, I just like raised my hand, like, yes, I, I want to pray this. This is real. You are leading me in prayer. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. All right. So <laughs> Tucker, so you began again, ironically, preaching about not worrying, but yet being full of worry. Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I guess my question is like, you know, maybe how how have you grown as a preacher since then maybe are you still struggling with worry what's what's your growth in your individual life and preaching life um, mm. overlapping with this i think you know even sharing the, the 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 short amount of details about those first couple sermons one area of growth that that by god's grace i can i can share and i and i'm sure preachers can relate to this is preaching like anything with something that you do as a practice with repetition and and just experience you do the the size of the burden minimizes and i of course i still wrestle with text i wouldn't put it into a category of worry i would i still hope that i weekly feel the need to pray and process through separating my own kind of you know, doubts about my words into standing in the confidence of God's word. But one thing that is a clear growth is that I no longer feel like it's consuming my entire week or month of whatever is on the horizon line of when we have the opportunity to preach. With time, the encouraging thing that comes with time for young preachers listening is that you do you can rely on past faithfulness. You can re rely on times that you didn't have a week to prepare. You had a moment to prepare. And time and time again, there, there seems to be a very clear pattern that when you truly trust God, you really stand on the word and not your preparation only or not your biblical knowledge and not all of the amazing quotes and, and points you're about to make, but you you learn to say, okay, this is your word. I am going to share it to your glory and to the best of my ability in trusting you. And you realize after time that the, the sermons that you really know that someone was benefited by or, or you impact someone with, those are not 
clearly because of prep. <laughs> They're just not. They're not clearly because you just knew exactly the game plan going in. And so over time, although you still have to wrestle with this concept, you learned that the word and the preaching is as powerful as God's grace allows it to be. And you take some of that burden off yourself. And so, you know, early on you go from, I need 60 hours. If I'm going to share this, I need to talk to 10 people. I need to read six books on the topic. And you just put so much pressure on your ability to know and understand. And I think that's probably fine early on because it's good to kind of go through the fire. But as I've grown, man, I have such little confidence in myself in such a good way and such amazing confidence that God's word is the power and we get to tend to it and we get to kind of stoke the flames. But trusting in God and not myself is an area of growth that I've, by God's grace, again, I've experienced. And that really would be, man, I just hope to experience it more, you know, more and more and more. It is God, not me. Do you remember the first time that that, like you speak that with such conviction? Mm. Um, I guess my question is like, is why? (laughs) And when did that really become convictional for you? There was a period of time, and I I think it's, it's grown in me. There was a period of time right after the pandemic. So I guess more recently than the broad history that I've been preaching, that I was so just pressed from preaching in front of a camera it was just so for me and i know that god used it differently in every preacher's life i'm sure some guys figured out the digital play in a brand new way and it really blessed them and probably you know some churches built out an online audience that was really beneficial that they they now get to really minister to and grow for me it was more of just a challenge of genuineness because it felt so wrong to preach just to a camera, even though I knew that logically it was going out to more people. And it was just my wife and I, because, you know, everyone was separated. And, and so getting back from that, I was so excited to be with people and just to be in the sanctuary of people. I just for a month or two, just started sharing my heart from the word. Now, this isn't, this is an expositor's podcast. So I'm not encouraging people to just now, from now on, throw out notes, open the Bible and read it. But because of that season, I had a a new grace to stand on that those few months were just as powerful for the people that were hungry for God's word as the years leading up to it, where I had a rhythm of, you know, structured outlines and, and doing my best to really have a you know, a beginning, middle and end with thesis and main point and still believe in all of those things. But coming out of the pandemic and going into a season where it was like, guys, this is a strange time. We, I just want, we, we really had a, a revival in our church's prayer time. And then we were just, I was just opening the Bible and kind of speaking from the heart and it was a season, but because that season's now in my history with preaching, it was a great lesson for me to say that can be just as powerful as anything. Well, yeah. Thank you for letting us in on that. As, as you may know, I'm, I'm quite good friends with one of the other pastors there, Noah Beamer, and he would just be sending, you know, photos into the group chat of like, here's our morning prayer meeting, this meeting. Yeah. You know? And it just, he, it was, so he was excited. It made me excited. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Like you are also benefiting from it. Yes, absolutely. And shout out to Noah. I uh, love that guy. And he's someone I would 
I've never really preached without him by my side. So really from the, from 10 years to now, he's always been kind of the, the music maker to the preaching. So shout out to him. Can't wait to see him October Mm -hmm. 14th and 15th when I'm at Boise for our Expositors Collective training event. In fact, Noah is kind of the big motivating factor in in getting us to come out there. Yeah. Yes. Noah is our in-house connection point to the outside world of amazing servants in the kingdom of God. And, And he went to the Expositors Collective a year ago and came back with a desire to preach. And so small testimonial for the workshop, our worship pastor, who like many worship pastors, really has to focus on liturgy and the organization of the actual gathering and of course the music. And so preaching is not something that he's had the opportunity to do a ton of. But when he came back from that, he, uh, I think, for the first or second time was like, I'm going to start preaching at our church. So let me know when you have the opportunity. And so he, he preached on James, the faith without works is, is dead passage. And so I was like, dude, yeah, jump nice, in. Nice easy text. <laughs> yeah. Just jump on in, but he did a great job. That's, that's really great. So, so yeah, he played a, he played a role in kind of connecting our different, you know, yes. organizations to, to use that word, this yep. ministry to, to the church that you serve at, but like what kind of, caused you to, to say, Hey, listen, it's an investment, but like what made you want to like let this traveling circus known as the Expositors Collective come and to, to take over your church for a Friday and, and for a Saturday? Yes. Well, one, I, I just, I think it's amazing that you guys would be willing to come. I mean, it's the, the idea that little Boise, Idaho is going to have people from all different parts of the world to come and, and share how to mechanically kind of learn how to teach the Bible. It's just not lost on me. I grew up in Boise. It was a tiny town. It still is a very small city that I I still am shocked that so many people want to visit Boise, Idaho. And now it's like, because growing up here. So honestly, just the fact that you guys are willing, I was like, are you kidding me? These guys would come (laughs) to Boise. This is amazing. But as a preacher and someone who wants to see the art of preaching, because I really believe that it is an art that parallels probably to, you know, another art form songwriting. I would just love to see more people excited about it. And I would love to learn. I'm in, in areas of growth that I can think back and learn on or share. I also feel like I am a beginner of beginners, you know, so to learn from the guys who are being used by God in such powerful ways, selfishly is my motivation to help out is I'm happy to help too, but I'm more of a learner in this instance. Okay. That's great. <laughs> you're, I appreciate what you're saying. I yes. have, Amen. I have learned from your teachings. I I've been yeah dipping in and out of the, the Calvary Boise feed over the, over the past years. And yeah, I'm looking forward to learning from you, from your session as well. Hey, so I've been dipping in and out of the Calvary Boise feed lately, and I listened to the last two, and I noticed, man, you've been preaching kind of about preaching for the past two Sundays. You you talked about John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus, and then a couple of days ago, you talked about Jesus beginning his ministry and beginning his ministry by, by preaching and calling people to repent. Yes. Um, just noticing, like, have you noticed anything about the preaching ministry from looking after these two preachers, John and his cousin, Jesus? Yes, absolutely. Well, one, noticing it in a very encouraging way, I think 
as much as preaching is an art, it is also the sometimes the lowest on the totem pole of art in the, the idea of the world. So, okay. you know, to be an actor, to be a musician, to be a painter, to live in a, you know, a, some sort of art community and just make these like tangible artistic designs. I think we're, I think preachers are as legitimate in an artist community as anyone. I'll say that again. And I find encouragement in reading the Gospels, specifically Mark in chapter one, and seeing the the emphasis and the importance of how God used preaching to form communities, to call people in, to expand the declaration that was being made. And so maybe as a preacher, when I saw, again, reading that Jesus comes out of the desert where he's tempted for 40 days. And as he pivots towards now making his ministry public, he started by preaching the kingdom. I'm reading that. I'm like, Jesus was preaching. That's amazing. And of course, I've been preaching Jesus for 10 years. I know Jesus is a preacher. He's the most profound communicator of philosophy and moral teaching and ultimately the visible image of the invisible God way of the kingdom of God of all time, but still just seeing it in text that he preached inspired me. And then also wanted me, it, it, you know, to preach about preaching, to encourage people that we are supposed to be a community of people making declarations. It's just, it's something that I see in a new way in the text that we're not supposed to be shy about preaching. And I, maybe I say that in a personal way, because like so many preachers of larger audiences, I mean that by like more than a hundred people, we are living in a time where it feels like a lot of people want to go to back to the beginning, just circle up in, in house churches, which is fine. I love that. But one of the critiques that's made against gatherings is that, you know, it's too monologue or it's too much of one guy's ideas and we're a community of people and we've all got spiritual perspective. Again, love it. But there is a role of preaching, not only in the Gospels, but throughout church history, there is a clear role for people to declare God's word in an authoritative way because of the empowerment of the Spirit that would call people to listen, not just dialogue. Awesome. You know, and, and in the sermons that I heard, you didn't talk about that too much in, in your sermons themselves, but mm -hmm. just kind of knowing the behind the scenes, you know, and then also mm. knowing that like for every sermon preparation, there's like so much stuff in the background. Yes. And I just, I had a hunch that you've been thinking about this, that yeah. Jesus and John have got you thinking. And so I wanted to catch you and, and capture those thoughts. Yes. And, and, you know, Christ as like a, as a carpenter or as a, as a builder, it's fascinating that like once you kind of put the, the hammer down he didn't stop building things like he continues to architect this community and he does it not with the chisel or the nails, but with his preaching, his preaching builds a community. And this is why dialogue is also important because had we talked a week ago, then I yeah. would be sharing how beautiful you just made the connection to Jesus's previous kind of preparatory life leading up to preaching and how you could see a parallel in building in preaching what he was potentially building with carpentry or woodcraft. So wish we'd spoke next time I share, I will be <laughs> making that connection that uh, he is building with, with preaching. That's amazing. Okay. So I, 
you you just said, I totally affirm everything that there is just something about like the monologue, the declarating, you know, the man of God with the word of God addressing the people of God. There is, there's like a power in that. But we just demonstrated that dialogue is good too. That I see things in the passage or there's there's little connections in my mind that are different than yours. And as we talk back and forth, something good comes out of it. Um, in, in my even preparation for this, as I always do, I usually just, you know, type in people's names into the computer and see what comes up, you know? And I, I, I came across the Tucker and Tom channel where it's, it's you and Tom Velasquez, another one of the leaders at Copy Boise talking about the chapters of revelation. And then I also know that a couple of weeks ago on a Sunday morning, you spoke with um, Kurt Kreger about the book of Ecclesiastes kind of in a back and forth conversation. So Yes, preaching is important, essential, and unique, but you would say that it's essential, but it's not the only way that we should be proclaiming God's word to the congregation. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on even dialogical communication. My first thought, even as we're processing this, you know, listening to kind of set up this question, is that absolutely, once again, affirming the monologue, the, the preaching from the, the word of God to the, the people of God. But I think, at least in my life, and I can't go into the, you know, the, the preparations of all preachers, but most of my monologue preaching comes from a dialogue, almost all of it. So mm-hmm. not only would I say that dialogue is important in the way that we open the word, teach the word, and, you know, kind of feed on the word together as a community, but even as a preacher, the process of wrestling a text to the ground and then into the context of what you're preaching, so much of that comes from the dialogue that you've been having with the people that you are serving and hopefully you're 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 connecting with. And then to to kind of give some background story for the the Tuck and Tom show, um Tom and I, Tom was my Bible, my Bible college preaching pastor. So he kind of took me through the word, helped me understand things like a main point or a thesis. And then every Saturday before I preached for the first three years that I was the lead pastor at Calvary Boise, every Saturday we would meet at the Boise State Library and we would get a room and a coffee. And for about three to four hours, we would just talk about whatever we were, well, I guess whatever I was preparing for that Sunday morning. And part of me was, you know, again, in that real preparation stage. So I wanted to, you know, know as much about the text as I could and and hear as many different perspectives. But also I'm I'm thinking back to that and just realizing how important it was for me to talk about the text and and ask questions to one person before I, you know, ask those Paul type rhetorical questions to an audience. So the dialogue before the monologue is really important. And then I think a dialogue after the monologue, whether the preacher takes part in that circle or not, but I think all good preaching, all good monologues should turn into some sort of dialogue that people should. And this is the feedback that I get that encourages me. Hey, something you shared Sunday, I was talking to my wife about that to me is a fruit of good preaching. Yeah. It turns into a conversation, something that you shared or encouraged me in. I went to work and I started, you know, talking to some people about that. That is where a sermon, a monologue sermon can turn into uh, the dialogue that would maybe be the preparation for the next monologue. <laughs> and so it's like this cycle where 
if all we're doing is is preaching and then you know telling people to come back next week to listen to their next message, I think we're failing people. If we can model some sort of conversational response or conversational culture to the word, then I think that we have a really good blend of what preaching should become. So that's a long monologue to make this dialogue. Yeah. I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, ironically, yeah. <laughs> yes. I enjoyed listening to that monologue about dialogues. Mm-hmm. What sort of things were you talking to? So on Saturday, you and Tom in that library. Yep. So you're like, hey, listen, I'm doing. Oh, totally. It was. I'm doing Mark chapter one. You got any yep. thoughts on John the Baptist? Or, <laughs> yep. or was it more specific than that? Or, hey, but no, what should like, I say this week? <laughs> yeah, some of it was. I mean, early on, I would do almost all of the sermon on Saturdays and we had a Saturday night service. So it was like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about this. What do you think? And he'd be like, Oh my gosh, that reminds me of this passage of scripture or, you know, I've always thought of it this way. And so sometimes he was like giving me a a story to share. There was, there was times you have to be careful with this as a young preacher, because there's times that someone else will share something you like so much, but because it's not yours, you're about to walk into some dangerous territory, which is to try to tell a story or recount a moment of history that you don't know well enough. And so right. there right. was some of that learning how to kind of process how much of this is me understanding the text, how much of this is me trying to steal ideas because I'm, you know, I'm feeling like my back's against the wall. And I'm again, one of those early preacher fears is that you're going to get up there, speak for five minutes. And then the band is going to like awkwardly come out because they weren't expecting you to end so early. Uh, So it was a lot of that, but it was, it was honestly no format. It was, we just talked for four hours and whatever, there was times that, you know, I'd kind of write something down, but a lot of it was just us talking about life, kind of weaving in and out of the the sermon prep. And yeah, yeah. That's great. Yeah, well, I, it's funny because I've experienced, I benefited from stuff like that in my in my younger years. And then now I'm kind of really, as I'm like, my younger years are kind of behind me. Now, mm. now it's the, now it's the time when like, I got to do that to other, for other guys yeah. and yeah. kind of embracing that and then realizing that. And, and I've, I just love talking with like some of the younger preachers, you know, yeah. and, you know, these days, you know, John Moriarty or there's, there's Key and Carol. And I've, I'm just having these great conversations that are just like that. You know, you sit down, you talk about Colossians chapter one, and then it just weaves into other stuff, you know, Hey, this is coming up at, at this situation or that. And then there's times then when he's preaching that Sunday and then I'm, I'm in the crowd and then I just hear something. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, and then you remember yeah. like, Oh yeah, it's because I told him to say that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're like, that was my idea. No, well, it's... yeah, but it's almost like it's like it's like, oh, that resonates with me so much. And then yeah. well, the reason why it resonates is because I told him to say it. That's right. <laughs> it I resonated with it. me three days ago. <laughs> yeah. But then when you when you hear it even through, you know, someone else's accent, when you hear it through someone else's life, and then and it's plugged into the passage, and there's been enough time that's that's elapsed through it, they actually do kind of forget, like, oh yeah, I think that was my idea, but but it's just a, a great thing. And you, you mentioned that preaching is kind of like like a, like an art, like an art form, and every artist is influenced by other artists. And likewise, as preachers, we learn from and with each other. Yep, and I think that's why what you're doing is to to expose your audience to more preachers is so important because it it is so important to know the the different ways that people kind of craft something and then put it together. But 
it's it's so similar to songwriting. Like you can tell who a songwriter is listening to, mm. and then they make mm. it their own. And mm. I think in the same way, preachers maybe want to be like this genius theologian that is saying things or sharing things in in a totally unique way. And there are certainly musicians out there that do that. But for the most part, I think most preachers are are a product of the creative preachers around them or in their influence. You know. Yeah. 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 I'm, I I love through this podcast anyway, being able to introduce people to yes. other, and you know, you and I, we're both from the Calvary Chapel world. That's our, that's our heritage. That's our tribe. And in the beginning, anyway, most of the listeners to this show were from, were from that world as well too. And it was great to be able to gently introduce them to the other great Christians that are out there and the other great preachers and leaders. And so I'm, I'm, it's been great to get feedback from people being like, I didn't know so-and-so ever existed. And now I've bought the book. I've been learning from that person. And I'm happy to be making those kind of virtual introductions. So you mentioned that it's great to kind of be learning from these different people. And like an artist with the different influences, you said it's important for you to really make it your own. And so maybe kind of as like a final question, like what are you going to talk to us about on Saturday, October 15th? <laughs> You're going to talk to us about like making it your own. What, what, what are you going to say? And why are you excited to talk to us about that? Well, I'm, I'm the, so the, the topic I think is, is something along the lines of finding your voice in preaching. I am excited about that because it has given me one, it's a question that I've never really asked. Of course, you don't have to answer every question that you know the answer to like oh, great so certainly well, a, a, glad that you're scheduled to talk about it then <laughs> yeah it, it's a it's a process that i'm like kind of like kind of retroactively learning about my own journey which is really important and so the idea is how do we as preachers take god's word and not simply at least kind of the, the process that i'm thinking about not simply share it as information but but animate it with the vessel that God is using for the particular time and people that he's choosing to, to reach. And how you do that, I will say I'm the, I'm still in the process of editing down all the thoughts that I have to, to turn it into a 15 minute session. But I would say one of the things that I'm really thinking about right now is that you have to do that all of the time. You know, when I first started to answer the question, I was like, yeah, when did I find my voice? When did I find my preacher's voice? Was it, you know, as I pivoted towards, you know, just, you know, having my sea legs faster and having my rhythm down and knowing my notes and having my routine. And it's like, no, because all of those things are total variables that change all the time. And that's what made me realize finding your voice as a preacher seems to be part of the continual drink offering that we're making. You, I, I have to find my voice as a preacher. It seems every single week, every single week, and and the passage of scripture that makes me excited. There's Noah said that not only were you guys coming, but that potential opportunity to to share myself. And it's like, man, I again just a learner, so I wasn't super eager to do that because who am I to share to a bunch of preachers? I'm I'm sure a lot of us feel that way, but um, I just so happened to be in Isaiah chapter 40 uh, as as Noah asked me, and then he told me the topic of finding your voice. And Isaiah 40 is when Isaiah says, voice in the wilderness, what should he cry? Like, what is the voice? And so that seems to be something that Isaiah was wrestling with the message over. Like, okay, the, what am I supposed to say? That 
what should the voice cry verse is something that I think whether preachers know it or not, they're asking every single time they open a text to preach the Bible. Like they have to ask that, then they have to answer it. Mine hopefully comes before Sunday at 915, you know, but Saturday night, it's like, Lord, what am I supposed to cry? What should I cry? Answering that question is not something that you get to check off the box. You have to, you have to live out Isaiah 40. What should the voice cry? Every time God says, hear the people, here's the word, go share, find your voice every week, every workshop, every podcast, find your voice. Wow. I don't know what to say. That's, that is so, that is, man, so, so exciting. I know Isaiah 40. I know that verse, but to hear, to hear you, you know, use that to answer that question is so timely, so encouraging. And I, you know, I'll be there in the front row, amening as you as you talk and about it. And you'll be like, I, "This resonates." I'm like, "That was from the dialogue, brother." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. No, so that one's all you. I can't. I <laughs> I, I contributed very little <laughs> to, to that bit just there. Well, that's 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 really cool, Tucker. Well, I look forward to to meeting you in person. This is and, and then hey, so like, what's there to do in Boise, by the way? So. This is kind of like a Friday and we, we finish up Saturday at like two or 3 p.m. Like what, what should I and others do Saturday afternoon? Knowing our, knowing our city and knowing your host, Noah Beamer, I predict that you will all be talked into eating lots of food and experiencing something to do with our downtown weekend culture because, you know, there's, you have two options in, in Boise. You can either do the mountains, rivers, uh, nature experience, or you can experience just our quaint little downtown. And with two days, although I wouldn't put it past Noah, but I imagine that you will probably have to go with, you're going to eat a ton of good food and walk around and see just the the vibrant little city that you're coming into. Wonderful. Well, well, we'll see. I kind of have it. I kind of, you know, those are like baby carriers. I, I want to be carried by Noah up a mountain. <laughs> oh, amen. Amen. Well, he's, he's I'm for far, it. He's far I'm healthier and be, in better shape than I am. So maybe you can like just hoist me up a mountain. <laughs> yes. I, if you put the GoFundMe link on the, uh, on the website, <laughs> I'll, I'll fund it. I'll put some money into it. Okay. Awesome, Tucker. Well, thanks so much. Um, yeah, really thank appreciate you. your, your hospitality in the first place. And thanks so much for such a great conversation. And yeah. so this episode is going to come out like early, early October. So there's about a week and a half left for you listeners to book a flight, get a Greyhound, stick at your thumb, hitchhike, and uh, come hang out with us in person. I would love to meet all of you face to face or in another you know time where we can meet online someday. So thank you, brother. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, and to the listeners, I hope that this episode and all that we do at the Expositors Collective helps you to grow in your personal study and public proclamation of God's word. Thanks, Tucker. Amen. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening all the way. Uh, For those of you that already have your tickets and you're already planning on coming, I can't wait to meet you there. For those of you that just decided after listening to this conversation to think, man, I got to get there. I got to bring my team. We're going. Well, let me say you made the right decision. And for those of you that are not decided yet, well, the previously mentioned Noah Beamer is now going to invite you out to Boise October 14th and 15th. 
All right. I'll catch you next week. And for a lot of you, I'll see you in person later on. Here's Noah Beamer. Hello, everyone. This is Noah Beamer, one of the pastors here at Calvary Boise. Uh, I want to invite you to come out to the next Expositors Collective training event that we are going to be hosting on October 14th and 15th. I got to attend one of these last fall in Colorado Springs, and I thought, man, I'd really like to see this happen in Idaho. And now here we are, and I get to invite you to it. Um, The training event goes from Friday to Saturday. It's an interactive learning experience with teachings from the front, panel discussions, and lots to take part in with group work and coaching with great concrete tips to help you grow in your understanding and personal study and sharing of God's word. So Boise, Idaho is absolutely gorgeous in the fall with lots to do and plenty to explore outdoors. So I really hope you can come join us this October for the next Expositors Collective. Mm -hmm.